Good evening, everyone. We want to welcome you to our Waterhouse Lecture Series, a second of our conferences on the doctrine of the Trinity. We thank all of you who are here in person and those of you who are uh, joining us online. Um, we uh, look forward to a, another really good conference of talking about what is perhaps you know, one of the most important uh, beliefs that we have as, as Christians. And um, before we do that, though, just we always want to talk about the Waterhouse Lecture Series, about Alec and Bell Waterhouse, and about their vision and their generosity, um, their thoughtfulness, you know, thinking well beyond just their own, their own lifetime, and that they, that they would, you know, create this lecture series uh, through, um, through their estate. And so for more than 20 years, we have... We have benefited greatly. Um, people have been equipped, trained. We've been able to connect with um, speakers and with organizations, and really just invested um, so much in the in the body of Christ and the work here, not just in Hawaii, but now that we can do this online, you know, this can carry on uh, much more than, than it could before, both live and we, we record almost everything we do. So people are always going back and, and you know, watching, the, watching the videos. <clears throat> and so we're very grateful to them and we, we're very thankful for what they, 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 they've done. And so now we're uh, you know, here with th this conference. It's our, our next to last one in our, in our grant year, our calendar year. We, we usually wrap everything up in May and June. And, and so our last conference, and this is a conference uh, that's a men's conference. And uh, that conference will, will be led by uh, George Gregory. And some of you may remember George Gregory if you've been to some of our conferences in the past. He and his wife Tondra did our marriage conference a few years ago. And then they also came with their daughter and helped us do our sports camp, our sports evangelism camp out at, in uh, Palolo. So uh, we've, this will be our third time working with uh, George and we want to encourage all of you men to, to come. Um, he's got a, just a special emphasis, a special message on encouraging us, um, helping us, you know, be, you know come back as, as, as kind of Society's getting back to normal and all. You know, what is our, what is our role? How do we move forward um, as a church and as men in the church? So that's going to come up in April, and we in, invite you to that. And we've also got another whole schedule of, of conferences that are going to start in July. We'll let you know more about those um, later. If you're new to our church, um, we, you know, welcome you here, and I'm the pastor here, Matt Sanders. Um, if, you, if you need to use the restrooms or downstairs, if you need help, uh, you can't ne uh, negotiate, navigate stairs, uh, we do have an elevator over there, if that's uh, helpful to you. Well, uh, before we begin, uh, let, me, let me open us in prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, um, that you used people like Alec and Bill Waterhouse to, to make this gift and make all of this possible. 
And so, God, we thank you for that, and we thank you for uh, the many men and women who've been involved in this ministry over the years and those who are involved today, uh, those who just volunteer their time, those who are on staff. And God, we pray for, uh, we're thankful for all the people who, who attend and benefit from, from the, the, the training, the teaching that comes from this lecture series. And so God, we, we come now together and we ask that you would, you would teach us, uh, that you would help us to have a deeper understanding of who you are and what that should then mean in, in our lives how our deeper understanding of who you are should affect our church and how we do church and how we live as the community of faith. And God, we look forward to that. And so we just ask that you would indeed um, work far beyond the efforts of myself or Rick in our presentations. And God, we, we thank you. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, um, I'll introduce Rick later, but Rick's here with his wife, Christine, um, over there, and um, we, uh, we will introduce them in, at, at the end of this session, and then he'll be doing a second session, but I just wanted to kind of do like a little mini session here at the start. In some ways, it's a little bit of a review of what happened last year when we had this conference. Uh, but in some ways, it's kind of taking that review and, and moving it forward a little bit. And it's to remind ourselves of, of why the Trinity matters. And um, for a lot of you, you, if somebody asks you, do you believe in the Trinity, you would say, yes, I believe it. Um, in fact, if you ever had teaching on the Trinity, probably 90 to 100% of it was simply proving that the Trinity is biblical and then not much else. Um, which, by the way, is all good. Um, we do need to have a biblical basis for what we believe. Um, but after that, we have an understanding of how the Bible demonstrates God's Trinity. Often we just put the Trinity on the side. As a matter of fact, most of you, if we had a test of who can name the most songs that actually, you know, refer to the Trinity. I'm pretty sure that, and we have some worship leaders here that I know from our church and some pastors and others, I'm pretty sure most of us could maybe come up with less than five. And it's, it's kind of strange, it's kind of weird, it's like, Wait, this is, this is this doctrine that we say is essential and if you're going to be a believer in Christ, you need to eventually believe and accept the Trinity, but then we just put it on the side. We don't really reference it. Um, I sometimes compare the Trinity in some of my writings to your weird uncle that you know, the weird uncle that's always at all your family parties, and you know, when, you, in, when your friends come, you're just like, hey, he sits over there in the corner and just, you know, just kind of ignore him, but, but we all love him. 
And I think that's how we deal with the Trinity. Oh yeah, the Trinity's here, kind of sits over there in the corner, just ignore the Trinity. Because if you get too close, then the Trinity is going to start suggesting things or asking things that you, you're not really going to know what to say or what to do. And it's, it's so weird that the church has been this way for much of its history. So, I'm going to kind of walk us through why does the Trinity matter? Well, the first statement is pretty short, and that's because God is Trinity. Okay, we're not going to, again, spend time during this conference, you know, proving that from Scripture. If you need to have that proved to you from Scripture, or if you want to be able to prove it to your non-Trinitarian friends, um, there's a lot of books out there, and, you know, we can help you with that. But we're presuming everybody here already believes that God is Trinity. But I think we need to start there because I think sometimes we forget it. I think sometimes we think the Trinity is simply a description of God. And we then think like, well, it's a description of God, but it's not really who God is. God is really that dude sitting on the throne with the white hair and beard. That's who God really is. Trinity is just a clever way of talking about him. And again, we tend to be kind of drawn towards this picture of the, this one being who, who exists in isolation for all of eternity and then at some point in time decides to create. But we need to understand that God is Trinity. God is not, Trinity is not just a name for God, not just a description of God. It is who God is. And that's why with Trinity, we can actually flip this. We can actually flip this to also be able to say, Trinity is God. There's very few things in this world, there's very few words in this world that you can do this with, okay? You, you all know from scripture, God is love. Well, you know you cannot flip that statement and say love is God. If you do, you are creating some kind of an idol out of love. There's very few things. As a matter of fact, I'd be hard pressed to come up with very many right now where you can, you can flip the statement, Trinity is God, God is Trinity. Because that is, is not just saying, again, Trinity is a description of God. It's like an equal sign. So God is Trinity, Trinity is God. Well, again, if that's all that there was, we could very well just let Trinity God sit in the corner and we could ignore him and kind of look over him once in a while and ask him if he wants something to eat, but nothing else. But then we read in Genesis 1.27 that God created, he created man and woman in the image of God. Human beings were created in the image of God. 
And I'm not going to tell you that I got this right away. I'm going to tell you this took me about 30-something years. And some of you may be ahead of me. You might have gotten it in 20-something years. But very few of us actually put it together from the very beginning. Human beings are created in the image of God. If God is Trinity and Trinity is God, human beings were created in the image of the Trinity. Are we starting to get a sense of why we need to understand more about who God is as Trinity? Are we getting a sense of, of why the Trinity matters and why we can't just keep the Trinity in a, a corner? So, human beings were created in the image of God. Human beings were created in the image of the Trinity. But it goes farther than that, right? We know what Scripture teaches us, that when we be when we're believers in Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if we, if we are understanding the Trinity, we understand Father, Son, and Spirit are three persons, one God. That Father, Son, and Spirit are three persons who are all equally God. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is the third person of the Trinity. We're going through a series in our church in the book of Acts on Sunday morning. And a few weeks ago we went through Ananias and Sapphira. And, you know, the story is very tragic in a lot of ways, but the story also tells us something about what the early church understood because when Peter's talking to Ananias and Sapphira, he's using the term Holy Spirit and God almost interchangeably. Pretty amazing. But believers were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not only that, believers are called to be like Christ. We're called to be like Christ. That's really kind of the etymology of the word Christian, which is, you know, little Christ. To be like Christ. To be imitators of Christ. Well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. We got, we're indwelt by one of the persons were to become like one of the other persons. How are we going to ever say the Trinity really doesn't deserve any more attention? The Trinity doesn't really have any implications for my life. And then, do you wanna go a step further? Not only are we, as believers, called to be like Christ, the church is called the body of Christ. So not only individually 
are we called to be like Christ. We are also collectively, as the church, the body of Christ, the Son of God. You can you know, read very familiar passages in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians you know, 1 Corinthians 12, that talks about us being the body of Christ. When Paul's writing about communion in 1 Corinthians 10, he actually writes about communion that in communion you are participating in the body of Christ. If we really get Trinity, if we really understand what Trinity is, if we really understand why Trinity matters, it radically changes how we understand the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not just this cute little ceremony we do to remember Jesus. It's much more than that. And then we have this rather remarkable passage in John 17. And we talked about this at the last conference, and it's really an inescapable passage to talk about if you ever want to talk about the connection between the God who is Trinity and those of us who are believers in Christ. Because in John 17, it's often called the high priestly prayer. And in John 17, there's a, the, Jesus is praying, and he prays for three distinct groups of people. Well, the first is not a group. The first is himself. He prays that God will help him do what he's set out to do, which is glorify God. And he's, we know, because we've read the whole book, that he's talking about the crucifixion and what he's about to face. And that in his death, in that gruesome, cruel, you know, terrible death, that he would reveal who God is. And then there's the second part of the, the prayer. And the second part of the prayer is he prays for his disciples, the ones who are there right there, right then and there, his, his closest followers. And he prays for them, and he prays a similar thing, that they would be able to accomplish the mission that they've been given. And then, in John 17, 21, he prays for all who will believe in the witness of the disciples. All who will believe in the witness of the apostles. In other words, all of those who will come who, who didn't spend two or three years with Jesus, who aren't going to be there which, in the events that are going to come, which are his crucifixion and then his resurrection, in other words, it's all of those who will, who will only know Christ through the witness of the apostles. They don't have any face-to-face -face evidence. It's the witness of the apostles. And some of you may know this verse, and you may know what, what Jesus prayed. And his prayer was simple. He said, Father, Make them one as you and I are one. Father, make them one as you and I are one. 
How are they one? How is father and son one? They are one because they are two persons of the Trinity. There's this unity that Father, Son, and Spirit are so close, they're so close that this is one God in three persons. It's something that is beyond really anything we can really think of. The closest we get to any language like this, the closest we get before the New Testament, before what Jesus says right here, is if you go back all the way back to the Old Testament, to Genesis. And if you go back to Genesis, and if you look at when God is, is describing and ordaining marriage, and when he uses that language, the, the two shall become one, that's about the closest we get to it. That there is a, a unity that if marriage is done right, it's no longer me and you, it's, it's us. Yes, we're still individuals, we still have identity, we're not supposed to become exactly the same, even though, not to scare some of you, psychologists say, the longer you spend married, the more you become like your spouse, even look like them. I'm, again, sorry to scare you, but it's true of your pets too, so hey, maybe you look like your dog or your cat. But it talks about this, this unity that you're supposed to have. And that's, that's about the only other place we hear anything like this mentioned in scripture. But the, the unity of the, of the Father and the Son, and really Father, Son, and Spirit, is even, it's even more radical. It's more intimate than even that between husband and wife. And in that prayer, he's not just praying that we would know the unity among ourselves, but also that we would have, that we would have that same unity with him. We'd have that same unity with Father, Son, and Spirit. This is God praying, I mean, this is Jesus praying, and really, in a sense, inviting, inviting his creation into this Trinitarian unity. You're like, well, you know, there's probably two or three different responses to that. One response is, yeah, I knew that. All right, good. Maybe you should come up and teach this. But some of you might be like, what? I've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I've never heard this. I've read through the Gospel of John dozens of times. I've never seen that. It's there. I checked. I checked older Bibles and it was there too. Okay, so it's not new. It's in the original Greek. Okay, it's there. That Jesus prays that his followers 
would experience the unity of the Father and the Son and unity with the Father and Son. Again, pretty crazy. And there's a reason for it. And the reason we also see in the Gospel of John, but we also see it later on throughout the book of Acts and through many of the letters of Paul, it's not just so that we could have this blessed experience on this earth. It's not just so that I can have a good life because I've got this communion with other people that's really you know, happening and I've got this really special communion with God. No. It's because of God's crazy plan. God's crazy plan was and still is to reveal himself to this world through his people. And we forget this. We often think as a church or as individual Christians that our job is to share the gospel. And it is, by the way. I'm, don't, by the way, I'm not one of those people who says, don't share the gospel. Yes, you should share the gospel. You should tell people about you know, what salvation is and how faith comes through Jesus Christ. I mean, faith in Jesus Christ, salvation comes. You should say that, for sure. But some people think that's it. That's the job of the church. But if we look at who the Trinity is, and we look at what the Bible says about who we are to be as the church, God's crazy plan is, I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to reveal my plan. I'm going to show the world the evidence that the gospel is true through my church. And I'm going to do it by how they love one another, how they're in community with one another. That's how I'm going to do it. And for some reason, and I don't know why, so many Christians and have just forgotten this, they think that that's optional. What's, what's essential is believe in, you know, believe in Jesus and, you know, do the right things. And some of that means showing up at church and putting up with the people there. You know, it's my cross. You know, that's what we think. But no, it's not that. Yes, we do believe. We cannot be the church unless we're a gathered community of people who believe in Jesus Christ. But we are also supposed to be demonstrating to the world what happens when Jesus Christ changes our lives, when the Holy Spirit indwells us. And what should happen is that we should demonstrate Love, unity, community that looks like it's from another world. So Jesus prays for. And you might think, that sounds really hard. I'm going to one-up you here. It's not hard. It's impossible. 
Okay? It's impossible. It's, that's why we don't only need unity with each other. It's why we need unity with God. Because it's only when we have unity with each other and unity with God that God will empower us and enable us to do that which would be impossible if we tried to do it on our own. And so the Trinity matters. Um, I don't know like, any better way to try to convince as many Christians as possible that the Trinity matters. I mean, as we've just talked about, it's who God is. It's who God is. And if for no other reason, if you say, I really love God, then if for no other reason you should devote your life to studying and understanding more about the Trinity simply because it is who God is. Because how are you going to love someone if you're going to limit your knowledge? If you're going to just stop it and just say, ah, okay, God, yeah, you're Trinity, but that's kind of weird, and so I just, want to, I just want to deal over here with you, God, my Father, and God, my Savior. But I don't really, eh, Trinity thing. Can't deal with it. I mean... Try this with if you here with a spouse. Tell them one day, maybe anniversary, Valentine's, just say, I don't know everything about you, but I, I know enough. I really don't want to learn anything else about you. Just kind of stop it there. Okay? So please don't you know, don't tell me anything new. Okay? We think, like, that's weird, that's stupid, that's wrong. And yet we do it to God all the time. We do it to God all the time. And we, we, we can't. It's a reflection of, do we really love God? Do we really want to know him as deeply as we can? Well, when we know God more... Not only does that help us love him more, but it also does more. It, it helps us worship him. We can worship him better when we know him more. We can serve him better when we know him more. We're going to talk about this at the, in the last couple sessions, and especially in the last session. But... If we want to really serve God in a God-honoring way, wouldn't it seem that we would want to be serving him, and if that means serving others, and doing it in a way that's consistent with the character of God, that's consistent with the God who is Trinity? I think so. I think one of the things that plagues the church is that there's a lot of people that are willing to serve, but they're not willing to serve for the reasons that God wants them to serve. They have their own reasons, and they're good people. And by the way, I don't think some of our churches could sometimes open the doors if we didn't have people not serving for the right reasons. 
But think about how much better your service will be, how much better your church will be if we're serving with the same spirit, the same attitude as a God who is Trinity. So the Trinity matters because it's who God is. And we should desire to know God as deeply as we can. The Trinity matters because when we know God more, we can love, worship, and serve him better. And the Trinity matters because when we understand the Trinity more, we understand what it means to be like Christ the Son, indwelt by the Spirit, and what it means to be children of God. You ever want to like be unpopular at a Bible study? Um, when someone says, throws out one of those phrases, like, you know, we're all called to be Christ-like. Ask them, what do you mean by that? You know? Oh, we're all supposed to be indwelt by the Spirit. What does that look like? How, how do I know that's actually happening? We're all supposed to be children of God. What does that mean? Is that just a nice title we carry around, we can put on our business cards? Or is, if we're children of God, that that actually means something about who we are, not just a title? Yes, you will be obnoxious and you will be annoying. But I think it's important because we throw these phrases around that often we get from Scripture, but we throw them around with, without anything more than just those words, without any more depth. One of the things I like to do in not every Bible study, but certain times when we're doing Bible study, I like to keep getting people to be more and more and more specific and concrete. And it's, it's funny how sometimes, especially when we first start doing it, it's really hard. Because everybody likes to stay up in the safe, general kind of language. They like to say like, oh, God wants us to love each other. But what does that mean? Well, you know, he wants us to really care about each other. What does that mean? Well, he wants us to have compassion for, it's like, what does that look like? Well, it looks like um, we love each other. And that's all they can do. There's no content. There's just words. But when we understand more about who God is, we understand that all of these, these phrases and descriptors, they're all connected to actions. So then if you keep drilling down, you might be able to ask a question like this. How did someone show you the love of God this week? Even then, some people try to resist. You know, some people try to stay up in the, you know, in the air. But it's hard. 
and it's in, but it's important that, that our faith, our understanding, not just be thin and not just have these nice words that we all say and go, amen, brother, amen, sister. We're all children of God. God loves us. We love God. No, what does it actually mean? What does it actually look like? What should it result in? And so the Trinity matters because in, in learning more about this, we learn more about who we are. We learn more about who we are in Christ. We learn about who we are becoming. Kind of gives us a sense of, of direction. Like, if we know we don't have perfect community in our church, the kind of community that would really be representative of the Father, Son, and Spirit, if we know we don't have that, it gives us direction. This is who we're becoming. It helps us learn to try to, to, to cut out those attitudes and those actions that would prevent us from continuing in that direction. And it, it helps us know what we are to do. So the Trinity matters. It matters immensely. And there's been kind of a resurgence in um, people trying to understand the Trinity, and there's a lot more books written about the Trinity, and there's some very good ones, and there's a whole bunch of really bad ones. But there's stuff out there now People kind of started paying attention, but most of it still doesn't have that, that final step, that final connection, which we hope to be able to, to start to do. We hoped we started last year. We hope that we're gonna continue this year, and really next year, we hope to really bring it home where we can, we can talk and not just tell you, but hear from you and discuss what, does, what should this look like? Or maybe your church is already doing some of these things. What does it look like in your church? How can our churches not simply believe in the Trinity, but actually be Trinitarian? That's our goal. Um, Rick Durst is going to do the next three sessions, and, and he's going to walk you through um, a lot of the insights and all that 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 um, that he has studied he's you know in the next session he's gonna he's gonna talk about how the Bible is thoroughly Trinitarian it's thoroughly Trinitarian and he's gonna he's gonna do more about why as hard as the church has tried to hide the Trinity it just will not go away um, he's gonna go through scripture and show, you know, if we understand scripture in context, again, it's thoroughly Trinitarian. And he's even gonna talk about things that you might, not have, you might not think about, like, did it matter when the church, like, scrambled around the three names? Was there a reason that sometimes it was Father, Son, Spirit, sometimes Son, Father, Spirit? 
data matter? Well, it's part of you know, what Rick's going to talk about. And eventually, we're going to get to this, again, a beginning discussion, which I hope makes you think for a year and that we're going to pay off next year when we talk really more deeply about what are the implications for the Trinity? What are the implications in our lives? What is the implication in our church? Even what are the implications in our world? So that's what's coming. Um, this was me just kind of setting the table, getting, getting, you, getting you to think and you know, just really encouraging you to, to not just think about this conference and, and you know, getting, you know, getting all you can out of this conference, but really understanding why this needs to be something that we continue to study and continue to think about and continue to um, learn more. Um, it's really essential to our, our, our lives in Christ.